From WIS Politics in Madison, you're listening to Capital Chats. Hello, everybody. This is Kate Morton with WISPolitics.com here with the Capital Chats podcast brought to you by Spectrum. Today, I'm here with my colleague, Adam Kelnhofer, who recently interviewed State Public Defender Legislative Liaison Adam Plotkin. So, Adam, what was that conversation like? Hi, Kate. Yeah, so we talked primarily about uh, budget season priorities. As you know, it's budget season right now. And the State Public Defender's Office has quite a few asks in the state budget. Most of those uh, center around workforce shortages. The State Public Defender, Kelly Thompson, who is actually the daughter of former longtime governor Tommy Thompson, has said that there is a shortage of public defenders, and that is Part of the reason why there is such a big backlog of public defense cases in Wisconsin right now. So here's Plotkin talking about some of those issues. Welcome to the show, Mr. Plotkin. Good afternoon, Mr. Kellenhofer. How are you? I am doing quite well. I hope you are too. Uh, So let's just go right into the budget right now. Um, We're still in the negotiating process. Republicans are still working on their plan uh, to kind of put it up against Evers plan. Uh, But there were quite a few important asks in the budget for state public defenders. So what is the most important thing to get in this budget? I think the the most important things are contained within what we call the criminal justice coalition package. Um, The biggest issues we're trying to tackle uh, right now are workload and retention and recruitment of both staff attorneys and private bar attorneys. So the three top issues for us are pay for staff attorneys, pay for private bar attorneys, and increasing the number of support staff that we have that can help help attorneys prepare for their cases and in working with clients and making sure that those cases can move forward. All right, so um, I saw in Governor Evers' budget, he did recommend going with a lot of those um, pay bumps, especially for starting wages for public defenders that would bring it up to about $35 an hour from, uh, I think it was about a little over $27 an hour, which is a is a pretty significant bump. Do you think, is that going to be enough to kind of remedy this public defender shortage that we're seeing right now? I think it'll definitely have a significant impact, um, whether it'll attract every single person who wants to do the work, but for who pay is important. I I don't know. Um, But what we do know is $27.24 an hour right now is far, far too low by any reasonable measure. Uh, The Department of Administration did some pay comparisons that showed uh, reasonably comparable positions were all around $35 an hour. I know we reached out to agencies like ours around the nation, and the $27 is in the bottom third of what attorneys are paid for this kind of work. And the Badger Institute also did a report with a lot of fantastic data about the recruitment and retention of both public defenders and prosecutors, because they're both on the same pay scale, and really showed that the compensation is far, far below market rate, even for a public sector position. So in August of last year, uh, State Public Defender Kelly Thompson said that uh, with the current lack of attorneys in the public defender's office, it would take at least a few years to clear the backlog of cases. Do you think would that timeline come down with, um, you know, with filling all the vacant positions in public defenders right now? 
It certainly would help. Uh, right now, uh, as of a, a week or two ago, our current vacancy rate is about 13% among staff attorneys. In the years leading up to the pandemic, our turnover was usually in about the 10 or 11% range, and that held relatively consistent. But during the pandemic, that just about doubled. Um, uh, another item that doubled in that time is the number of open cases on every staff attorney's desk. So I think if we can fill the positions that we've got and raise that private bar rate to attract those private attorneys to take conflict cases, I think it would have a significant impact. I will say we're starting to see some glimmers of hope in terms of, in some areas, those uh, backlogs starting to reduce, but we do have a ways to go. And I think the other important piece is this is a systemic investment. I mean, we need the pay raise, we need the additional staffing support, but uh, prosecutors need that same pay raise. Courts have identified needs that they have, and so has the Department of Justice. And it really is an interrelated system. Uh, it's why for the last three budgets now, we've all joined together to identify those core investments in this constitutionally required service uh, to help the legislature identify how all of those different pieces relate. Got it. So, um worst case scenario if some of these these pay raises don't end up in the budget um what does that mean for our criminal justice system um that's a great question i don't know um the turnover rate has has been high i think if those raises aren't included that that rate will stay high or probably even increase a little bit more uh, we continue to have elected district attorneys, assistant district attorneys, and assistant state public defenders who are leaving for jobs at the county government level or the private sector or for other states uh, because the compensation just isn't there. Um, you know, it's, it's such an important issue that I think it's really been recognized throughout the legislature as something that needs to be addressed, and the governor has made it a priority in his budget as well. Yeah, the the governor has definitely made it a priority. I've actually been sorting through this week, kind of the uh, kind of comparing the budget with the uh, the Justice Coalition uh, budget request that you referred to earlier, and it, it looks like a lot of the asks have been included. Um, but that that still leaves the question of it, how much of the how many of those asks Republicans are going to keep in the budget. So, have you been able to talk with any Republican leaders about what is going to make it in the final budget? You know, we've started as a coalition, we go around and meet with members of joint finance and leadership, and we've been having those meetings and people absolutely understand there's an issue. Uh, I, I think we're getting good feedback that they definitely know some investment needs to be done. We have not gotten a lot of specifically firm commitments. I do feel optimistic that something will happen, but I think it's just too soon to say with any uh, guarantee what the specifics of that will be. Sure. It'll be very interesting to see what comes out of those Republican offices and the Joint Finance Committee in the months to come. Um, I want to switch gears here really quick to touch on uh, an issue that uh, you raised actually in a public hearing recently about uh, some proposals to amend our state constitution um, to allow judges to consider more than the likelihood to return to court when setting uh, pretrial release conditions. So 
Um, why don't you talk a little bit about those those measures? What do you think of them? Sure. The the idea behind the constitutional amendment that was proposed and is on the April 4th ballot is to allow the use of uh, risk to the community when judges set cash bail. It defined the, between the constitutional amendment and a trailer bill that's making its way through the legislature now, it defines the terms violent crime and serious harm. And the concern that we've identified is that the, the use of cash is not a good predictor of risk. Uh, if you and I are charged with the same crime, uh, but you can afford the cash bail, but I can't, why does that make you less risky than it makes me? Um, so the, the way that most other states are going on bail is away from cash, not completely eliminating, but minimizing its use in favor of a system that's largely risk-based. So even in Wisconsin, there are eight counties right now that have a pretrial pilot program running that uses a risk assessment tool to determine that risk and informs a decision by the judge as to whether to hold that person pretrial or to release them, or in rare circumstances, apply cash bail as a condition. And there are all kinds of non-monetary conditions that could apply too. But the, the, the research and evidence shows that pre-trial, it's far better to remove cash from that system than to have that as a condition. And our concern is that the, the combination of how the amendment is structured and the trailer bill will, will increase the amount and instances in which cash bail is set. So that, that would effectively increase the workload on both prosecutors and public defenders, right? Yes, uh, it certainly would have an impact on, uh, for instance, uh, if a person is held in custody, which by the way, when you're held in custody pre-trial, you are presumed innocent. Those people are anxious to have their day in court. Um, there is a lot of pressure because of incarceration to uh, plea, even if you may want to fight those charges. Um, uh, so it will increase the amount of uh, pressure to move cases, which uh, efficiency is, you know, not always the friend of proving guilt or innocence. Um, the other uh, issue I think that's kind of gotten forgotten and lost is if we increase the number of people who are held pre-trial, the population in our jails, which in some places is already at or near capacity, is going to go up even more, which is going to have a significant fiscal impact on counties and sheriff's departments. And sheriff's departments are struggling as much as we and the prosecutors are to find staff. So I think that's a part of the conversation that hasn't necessarily uh, been in the public domain at this point. One thing, just because you and I are talking on March 16th, 2023, I'll mention that it was uh, 60 years ago uh, that the United States Supreme Court released its decision in Gideon versus Wainwright, which is kind of the landmark decision that requires the provision of counsel for people who can't afford it, which is really the the opera, operationalization of the Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution, the right to counsel. Uh, so, you know, as we're coming up on Saturday is 60 years to the day, a lot of people are recognizing uh, the importance of that anniversary, and we're hoping it's kind of a 
renewal of the conversation and making sure that the right to counsel isn't just on paper, that it's in practice as well. And that's why these budget investments are so important. All right, got it. Um, I think we can end right there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Adam Plotkin. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much, Adam. Well, Adam, it sounds like the Republicans might have an opportunity for compromise on this issue and to make some progress with this shortage. That's right, Kate, but we'll still have to watch the budget process as it unfolds. So if our listeners want to see more about that budget process, they can head over to our website and check out the budget blog at wispolitics.com. But for now, I'm Adam Kelnhofer. I'm Kate Morton. Thanks for tuning in to Capital Chats, brought to you by Spectrum. Spectrum.